Hey, listeners, welcome to another episode of Everything You Know About Disability is Wrong. A podcast for disabled people and by disabled people. Today in the podcast, we have award-winning recording and performing artist, Lachi, and she's also a YouTuber and disability advocate. Lachi's music has been featured on radio, TV, in film, and she founded Recording Artists and Music Professionals with Disabilities, or RAMPED, which is the coolest acronym ever. And she works with organizations as board members and doing DEIA work, um, and she's even a board member for the Grammys. Yeah, and we want to thank Lachi for bringing to our attention the need for audio descriptions um, for our videos at the start of every episode. Yes, as always, accessibility is an ongoing effort, um, so we're so grateful to learn and be able to add something new to our podcast to make it even more accessible. Um, We've already finished production for the episodes uh, recorded in Season 2, so this will be added to Lachi's episode, and then listeners and viewers, you can expect every episode of Season 3 to have these audio descriptions of the video you're seeing. Yep. So I will start get us started. Oh yeah, I'll start us with um, my audio description. I'm Erin. I'm a white presenting woman with strawberry blonde hair, blue eyes, and I'm wearing a white long sleeve t-shirt. Thanks, Erin. I'm Lily. I'm a white presenting woman with green eyes and shoulder length brown hair. I'm wearing a black turtleneck. Currently, and I will be wearing a black turtleneck in the recording. In the recording, Erin's also wearing an orange sweater. And we are joined by Lachi, who is a black woman with braids with her hair pulled back. She's wearing a pink shirt and a pink pink flower is pinned in her hair. And on screen, you also see the title of our podcast, which is Everything You Know About Disability is Wrong. Yep, and we're really excited to get into it. So let's go. Oh my goodness, you are such an inspiration. Wow, you really are. You're so strong. Can I pet your service dog? One, two, three, let's go! We are artists, parents, teachers, good guys, bad guys, students, leaders. I'm not your inspiration, yeah, I'm fully who I am. Got my own expectations that don't fit into your plans. I'm not your sad story, so I wrote it in this song. Everything you know about disability is wrong. We are so happy to have you on the podcast, Lachi. Thank you so much for being here. Really excited to be here. Cannot wait to get into everything. Thank you for having me. So as Erin mentioned, she's so excited to have you as a guest and introduced me to your work. And I'm so grateful that she did. I think you're so cool. And I'm really excited for today. Um, my first kind of intro getting to know you was I watched your YouTube series, Offbeat, Going Blind and Staying Fabulous, which is a phenomenal YouTube series. Listeners, check it out. It's really, really great. So can you tell us a little bit about that series and what made you decide to document document your experience going from low vision to total blindness? Yeah, I mean, that was really sort of the beginning of my journey of celebrating my disability pride identity and culture. And today I use everything from my music to my storytelling to my fashion to advocate for disability identity, pride and culture. But 
in like, I think it was about 2017 was when I got the diagnosis that I was going to lose my vision completely. And, you know, by that time in my life and career, I was in a place where I was like, you know what? how do I turn this into money? How do I add this to my business proposal? So I was like, let me start by introducing to the world that I am going to be losing my vision. For a while, I'd been navigating the music industry, sighted passing, I guess is the best way to say that. And I was finding success. But at this point, I had to get in front of this diagnosis and not let it take me out. So I said, I am going to draft up a bucket list of a bunch of people that I want to meet and a bunch of things that I want to do, and we're just going to go do them. And honestly, I had this sort of negative correlation of like, as my sight depleted, my quality of life increased. And it just really got me wanting to mountain climb, wanting to scale buildings, wanting to jump out of airplanes, wanting to meet other leaders and famous people in my space. And that was really the kickoff point for me saying, listen, we're going to grab life by the proverbial balls and we're going to do this whole thing all the way. Snaps for that. I love that attitude. And I think it is exactly what we try to embody here on everything you know about disability is wrong, because I think that so much of what mainstream media talks about disability is this like sad experience. And it's like, no, this is awesome. These are our identities and we're going to make the most of them. Um, I, the first video I saw on your channel was when you went skydiving. And to me, I was just like, just as a person, that is terrifying to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you're so cool. And like, I love how you kind of bring in your disability in your videos without making it like about disability. Because it shows that like, we're just people who do things. Right. And our disability is is empowering, but just a part of who we are. And I love that. Yeah, I mean, just like I'm a woman, just like I'm a person of color, just like I am an American, just like I'm a daughter of immigrants, I also have a disability. I actually have multiple disabilities. And I mean, everybody's got something. And so I believe that the problem is that folks are afraid to celebrate all parts of their identity. And there are certain parts of our identities that we're told to feel ashamed about and that we're told to hide. And so it's one of the reasons I lean in to my disability identity and talk about it. But at the end of the day, I'm just as proud of that part of myself as I am of the music part of myself, as I am of the woman part of myself, as I am of the black part of myself. And I feel like, you know, the fact that I'm blind and the fact that I'm a woman or black or whatever is not what makes me amazing right? It's not like, oh my God, she got out of bed or she brushed her teeth and she's blind. That's so amazing. It's amazing that I jumped out of a plane. That's what the thing is. <laughs> and so that's the kind of stuff I want to celebrate. So I'm really excited that that's how it was received. 
<laughs> yes, absolutely. When Jennifer Masumba, who was one of our season one guests, and she wrote our um, theme song, when we were talking about writing the theme song, that was one thing she talked about. She was like, I don't want to be called inspiring for going to the grocery store. I want to be inspiring for the actual inspiring stuff I do, which exactly. I think that that, yes, I love that you celebrate that. And I think that your outlook is so wonderful and I'm just yeah in awe of, of the way that you celebrate life I think that's exciting and I think that I love everything you said about identity because I think you're exactly right that there are parts of ourselves that are we're told eh, you should you should dull that down and especially you mentioned um being cited passing as the phrasing you know I've spent most of my life as neurotypical passing and there is that feeling of well, this is just as much my identity as every other part of me. So I'm not actually going to try to pass or hide this, but it also what you said, Erin, it's not my only defining quality. So I think that's really cool. Um, obviously our podcast is called everything you know about disability is wrong. So we like to kind of ask, what do people get wrong about you? And specifically, I'm really interested in your thoughts on what people get wrong about progressive disability and finding out something like that you're going to go from low vision to fully losing your sight. What are some things for our listeners that they might get wrong about that kind of diagnosis and what you go through? Firstly, in, in talking about progressive disability, so we are ever-changing beings, right? You mm -hmm. go from baby to toddler to adult, and that's just traumatizing in and of itself. You go from possibly single to married. Heck, you go from straight to gay. So, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. you might go from sighted to not sighted as just a natural part of your life, hearing to not hearing, walking to non-ambulatory. And you may even go from neurotypical to neurodivergent due to certain catalysts in your life. And everyone goes through growth. I don't see it as going backwards. I actually just see it as part of growth. And so this whole idea of like, oh my God, I'm losing part of me. You're actually growing and that's fine. Everyone's growing in different ways. Um, another thing that people get wrong about this, so many people, so first of all, I don't know if this is the right podcast to talk about this. So I'm going to just say this very briefly, but disabled people have sex. Okay. Oh yeah. I, this is the I, right podcast. Oh, I, we love, we love to talk about these things. We are real humans. <laughs> Your girl gets it in. If you don't think that disabled people have sex, I must not be disabled. Um, and then also just this idea of like boxes that we're, that we place ourselves in. The term I believe is called heuristics. So heuristics is when we make quick categorizations of things so that we can quickly acclimate, right? You walk into a room, you think door, wall, don't walk into a chair, and you put things in categories. You think older person, you think younger person, but that's why we have those heuristics so that we can quickly be able to navigate things, figure out our self-defenses, and be safe and whatnot. But we often take this to the extreme of mm -hmm. a blind person cannot see, a deaf person cannot hear. But it turns out that most blind people can see. <laughs> There's how most blind people can see. Turns out 85% of blind people can see. And I'm one of them. I am only partially blind. Um, most deaf folks are, you know, hard of hearing, partially deaf, et cetera, et cetera. There are a lot of folks in wheelchairs that are also ambulatory. Mm -hmm. And so 
these boxes that we put ourselves in make it very difficult for people who need access to get it due to the stigmas of those boxes. And I think the, the best example is using a cane. Mm -hmm. So a lot of blind people don't want to use their cane. And frankly, a lot of um, folks who have mobility uh, differences don't want to use their canes as well because of the stigma of weakness that it brings, because of the stigma of needing help and assistance that it brings. But at the end of the day, the truth of the matter is, is that your stick, your cane, it actually makes the person independent. It does the opposite of what people think it does. It doesn't make you weaker, it actually makes you more independent. It also alerts people to the fact that you have a disability so you don't have to be all awkward and trying to hide it. That's number two. And number three, people with disabilities have to go through so much erasure that I just wanna show my stick, boo, I'm disabled. And so I think that a lot of folks who are legally blind or visually impaired or have low vision that need to use their cane but aren't using it and they're just kind of going through life just trying to figure things out, it's not safe for them. Yeah. But because of stigmas, this is why they're doing it. And we would have so many more people using the cane if it weren't for stigmas. Yes. Wow. To all of that. <laughs> I mean, just such a phenomenal group of info for our listeners to hear. I think that that really is some plain old everything people know about disability is wrong. People really do think that. And I especially think that spectrums get completely missed. The nuance of, of many different spectrums that exist in disability get missed. And I think you're so correct there with that stigma is the thing that's stopping people from using things that would actually give them independence. I think that is so amazing. Yeah, because you know what? I think for a lot of folks, it's not the fact that they have the disability that makes them have social issues or feel depressed. It's honestly, it's the way folks treat them. And it's the way folks view a part of their identity that makes folks depressed or have social issues when it comes to disability. Right. And like what people fail to realize is that when you become disabled with later in life, you often bring along the ableism that you learned mm -hmm. for your entire life. And then to become disabled is scary in your mind. And I feel like we get a lot of support in the disability community to lessen that. And to, we should definitely, like, I've been, dis I've been disabled my whole life. So it's very different. But, um, you know, we have to, as a community, we should bring in new disabled people and kind of help them unlearn the ableism that they brought with them, which is hard. But I think it's necessary. It is definitely necessary. A lot of the time, ableism is sort of uh, synonymous to trauma. And so, like, a great example is when folks are trying to showcase to people the, um, the, the experience of being blind, right? They'll have people put on a blindfold or something and then try to eat dinner or try to walk down the street. So I recognize that that would help people be empathetic to the blind experience, but the issue is, is that it just only introduces them to the trauma of just going blind and trying to navigate the world, not realizing that most folks 
naturally go into blindness or are born blind. So this is all they know. And so it's not traumatic to walk down the street or eat a meal. But this is what we're presenting to folks. Also, we need to recognize that ableism is much larger than just disability. Ableism intersects with so many different things. It intersects with gender. It intersects with sexual preference. It intersects with size. It intersects with class. So like, you know, a, a cis straight white male with a, an amputee will have a very different life experience than like a transgender woman of color who's also an amputee. Like while they'll both need the same, I guess, ramp to try to get into the party, it's far less likely that the trans woman of color who's an amputee will even get an invite. So we have to like look at these sort of juxtaposed systems of oppression that also affect disability and how they amplify ableism and how people can be more ableist towards people that are multi-marginalized than they are towards people who are not multi-marginalized. Yes, absolutely. Such a crucial point. That intersectionality is so important. I, I have a friend who is in her kind of discovery of her own neurodivergence and she's been having to do what we're talking about on learning a lot of ableism. And we were just having a conversation about how, you know, ableism is the backbone of many other isms and ogenies and um, just marginalizations. This, this idea of how productive you can be or how typical you are is the, um, causes a lot of hatred in other groups as well. And I think that that is, just so important to point out and see that, you know, we have to consider many identities and not, and it goes back to, you know, the beginning of this podcast, us talking about how disability is just one part of who we are. Exactly. Um, it's also one part of our intersectionality. We all have many different intersectional identities. And I know I often talk about how my queer identity and autistic identity are so intertwined. They could never be separated. And I think that that is just a really important part to talk about. So thank you for bringing that up. Exactly. Exactly. Of course. Of course. So I want to talk a little bit about your specific work in um, DEI work in the mu music industry. So in one of my favorite interviews of you, you're talking about the emergence of disability culture through music. Yeah. and how we see culture emerge through art forms and how you mm -hmm. want to see that in the music industry, especially yeah. given the work that you have done with recording artists and music professionals with disabilities or for our listeners, Ramped. Um, mm -hmm. For the, our listeners who are unfamiliar, can you just tell us a little bit about Ramped and how it got started? Sure. So Ramped started in actually in 2021 as an acronym, which I think is our biggest achievement because that's the mm -hmm. best acronym. But... <laughs> We worked side by side with the Recording Academy to begin, um, you know, lessening the fact that there was just not a lot of support for artists and professionals in the music industry with disabilities, accessibility needs, et cetera, et cetera. Like for me personally, I remember going up to different firms and entities and organizations and asking them what they were doing for disability inclusion and accessibility. And they were just like, I don't know, you tell us. <laughs> So I said, okay, oh. I will. Um, and I kept getting things like, oh, it's you and Stevie Wonder. And so I was like, there's oh. no way that's it. Um, one of the things somebody had said to me was, 
you know, you're the first uh, musician or artist I've ever met with a disability um, apart from knowing Stevie Wonder. And my response was, no, I'm not. I'm just the first one out about it. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to make sure that we build this coalition or at least this network of recording artists and industry professionals who identify as neurodivergent, having a mobile, physical, sensory disability, chronic conditions, et cetera, that work in the music industry to answer that question that they consistently had of, well, who would we be doing this for? Where are these disabled musicians? We don't have anyone to service, but it's just because of the fact that folks hadn't come together to build this coalition. So Ramps came about, we penned our whole thing down in the beginning of 2022. That was when we became official. Um, I founded it. I was joined by Galen Lee and a few others, Stephen Letness and a few others to really get this thing off the ground. Our first partner was the Grammy Awards. So that's how we kind of soared very quickly. Our first partner was like this global mammoth. Um, but that was just because I was on the inside at the Grammys. It was very easy to turn that into a relationship. However, we got a ton of press, everything from Billboard to Forbes to Hollywood Reporter and New York Times. And then because of all that press and because of that sort of really high level forward facing initial buzz and because of the really great music professionals and artists that we had right on the onset, uh, people were Googling us, people were coming in, we got overwhelmed very quickly, but we were able to really become a thing. And now a year in, what Ramped is, is we are a global, we are a platform that connects the music and events and entertainment industry to a global network of recording artists and music professionals with, you know, big D disability, deafness, neurodivergence, all of the others. And we do everything from offering job opportunity, visibility, and connectivity to our professional membership, to our affinity network, um, but also forward-facing. We offer inclusive programming, consultation, and uh, disability etiquette and accessibility and awareness to the music industry. So we're doing a lot. We've also worked with Netflix. We've done internal conversations with places like Sony Pictures Entertainment. We have done a lot of work with the National Independent Venue Association. We're talking a lot to Music Forward, which is the which is an arm of Live Nation. So we're doing like a ton, ton, ton. Um, and we have big dreams and big plans. And we've, we're only a year old. We're not up to two years old. I don't know how many two-year-olds have done as much as we have, but <laughs> we're, we're ready because at the end of the day, I firmly and truly believe that it will be disability culture that explodes the thing, right? You know, look, disability rights and disability policy, that's great. It's great at moving the needle and it's great at, you know, finger wagging people into doing things. But I don't want finger wags. I want cultural movements. It was hip hop that introduced everyone to black culture globally. It was country music that introduced everyone to rural culture globally. I mean, I was just out in Europe and they were listening to freaking country music. And I was like, y'all are listening to country music out here, okay. And that's how they're getting introduced to our culture. So I want to use music to introduce the world to disability culture. And that's what we're gonna be doing. 
taking everything in me not to just scream and cheer into this mic. Oh my goodness. Incredible. There are so many that. incredible things about what you just said. <laughs> I have to point out that the thing that I think is so incredible, going back, you said that, you know, you got in with the Grammys quite in in your infancy stage at Ramped because you were already in the room. And yes. I think that that, I mean, that needs a second of applause <laughs> because <laughs> that is how we change this world is that when we end up in rooms where it happens, instead of saying, oh, I'm lucky to be here as a disabled person, we say, oh, let's get some more people in here. Oh, you better. See, this is why you can't be inviting Lachi anywhere because once you invite me, you're inviting like my whole family. Like everybody's coming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're all, and even if you just give us one chair, there's going to be 80 of us sitting in that chair. They're just sitting on each other's laps because we're all going to be there. <laughs> Heck yes. And I think that is a great point about how disability culture is how we really get people to understand our movement because interconnectedness and to be cheesy and quote your song, but lifting each other up is how we do this. I mean, yeah. the disability community, we're good at that. We're good at bringing each other along and knowing that I'm not going to think that I'm the person breaking the glass ceiling and leave behind the people that helped me get there. I think that that is so incredible. And just um, congratulations on how successful Ramped has been. And thank you for using the seat you had at the table to bring more of us in. Amen. Amen. I mean, it's passion and purpose, right? Like at the end of the day, I love what I do, right? I don't wake up and go like, oh my God, this sucks. I got to do this again. Like, I love what I'm doing. And I think it is because I recognize the need and I have the means. So why not put it together and allow like everybody else to win and leave not only that legacy behind, but it's a legacy builder, right? Mm -hmm. And to be able to make those connections, I remember earlier on. So one of my greatest mentors is, was, and is still Judy Human. And I had the pleasure of knowing her and being, you know, one of her 2 a.m. phone calls every once in a while. Oh. And she would call me and give me advice and say, you know, stand up for what's right and stop backing down and stop doing this. And I would say, stop calling me at 2 a.m. And so, <laughs> but it was, honestly, it was through her that I learned that connectivity is key. Connecting people is the actual activism. It's the actual work. Because when we look at the word marginalized and we look at the word exclusion, it is that there is a center and we're all on the rim and we're not connected. We are the ones not connected. And so it's this idea of breaking down these silos and breaking down this sentiment of siloism. You know, there's a there's a, a sentiment that goes around in, in any ex historically excluded community. Uh, and even with, it started with women, right? With the whole, like, there can only be one woman in the CEO mm -hmm. table, that whole thing. And starting to realize like, well, why is that? Why can't we just have a whole circle of women, right? Mm -hmm. That's the, that was the beginning of the breaking down of the whole patriarchy, which we're not here to get into all of that. But the point <laughs> is, is that this whole idea that there's only one opportunity for this one disabled person. So everybody's got to go grab it and try to pull down the others and the whole crabs in a bucket theory right 
The truth of the matter is, is there are as many opportunities as there are ideas. And it's all about figuring out how you can get what you need and then pulling others up so that they can help progress this thing that you did, right? Like, you know, Judy gave me a lot of opportunities and I was actually able to turn around and give her opportunities. That's what this is. You don't want to just be the only one that comes up and then you're fending for yourself and you have no community. You don't, you don't have an army when you're by yourself. If you can lift everybody else up and you make that army, then guess what? Now you have people that can help you be a part of their army. You start getting opportunities from them and it's the seesaw of upwardness. That is what lifting each other up is. Totally. And like, Reading saw that in the, you know, the sit-ins and the protests during the ADA passage, how everyone came together as a community to make this big change. It wasn't about individualism. It was about being together. And I think today, with social, not to be like negative, but today with social media, and there's a lot of individualism I see, a lot of like focus on me, focus on what I'm doing. But like what you're doing is building communities. And that's what we need. We have to do that to make change. Well, one thing I will say is that social media is is already just in and of itself a very focus on me type of entity, yes. right? Whether it's in disability, whether it's in whatever, it's a very, here is my platform. Everybody <laughs> listen to what I have to say. Don't know why mm -hmm. I went English right there. But I feel, right. <laughs> I, feel that, I feel that social media is a tough one because at the end of the day, social media is such a great vehicle for community and for building change and for building vehicles. And we see some of sometimes, but I think a lot of it is honestly, the system and the way the institutions are built really try to make everyone want to compete, right? Mm -hmm. And the minute folks start to collaborate, it's so easy to just go beyond the system very quickly. The minute you kind of, your eyes kind of go, oh, boingo, I can actually, co-create with these people and make something larger than the limited system that I've been navigating in and begin to have that, uh, what's the word? Um, not scared, the opposite of scarcity, abundance mindset. There it is. Yes. Begin to have that abundance mindset and recognize that there is unlimited opportunity, unlimited funding, unlimited love that we begin to really start making change. Yes, absolutely. And Aaron, I'm glad you brought up the point about the sit-ins and we're talking about communities. You know, these, when you build a beautiful community of your own kind of community members, then full on communities can show up for one another. I think about the section 504 sit-ins and how the Black Panthers showed up with medication and food and things that allowed the disability rights activists to continue and make the laws that shape disability society today. So I think that that is so crucial, this showing up for one another. And you bring up mother, Judy Human, who truly, I think, embodied that communal sense and that idea you said of there's enough, there's as many opportunities as there are ideas. I think that that is 
So true. And we see that, um, you know, Aaron and I, with our work at Easter Seals, there's Easter Seals all over the country. And we see this kind of, when we come together, these networks are incredible. And I mean, just even the people that we've met through the Disability Film Challenge, which is Easter Seals, Southern California. And we, I feel like each of our affiliates have different programs that they're working on. And you just start to realize, wow, this is a community. And, you know, going back, you said the thing about with Ramped, how you wanted to create the groups that people thought didn't exist. Like, well, who is this for? You wanted to show this is who it's for. I mean, one in four people are disabled, but that is a thing that you hear often of like, well, why would I do this? Who's the consumer audience of this? And I think that that is really important to bring up that, you know, it's important for us to be communities, to mobilize and to make our voice heard together because there's a lot of us. <laughs> we really can lift each other up. And that one in four statistic is a pre-COVID stat, right? So we don't even mm-hmm. really know. <laughs> like, you know, there's a lot of long COVID. In fact, one in four people that get COVID get long COVID. Yep. Speaking of one in four. So there is a lot. And then we don't really talk about sensory disability. Apparently, what I think it's one in six um, Americans have a sensory disability. And a lot of that is not talked about. Um, there's a lot of diversity, not just in terms of dislike, not in terms of inter- intersectionality, but in terms of disability that a lot of folks don't talk about because of the non-visible disability. So why we're not talking about it is beyond me. The only thing I can think of is the fact that we have, we operate in this sort of currency of shame, right? Oh yeah. And we need to break out of that currency because at the end of the day, like I said, you know, I owe my success to, how do I put this? Like people used to tell me, or they still do, which is super annoying, that I'm brave, that I'm courageous, that I have superpowers. Mm. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't have any supernatural powers. What (laughs) I have is natural. Okay. It's not supernatural. I'm not an oracle. Okay. (laughs) Just because I'm blind. What I have is something better than bravery and better than courage. What I have is identity pride. What I have is that no one can make me feel ashamed about my disability. And that is what draws people to me. That is what draws people to what I have and who I am, because that's the one hump that society just can't get over this shame or this fear of eventually becoming disabled or this fear that they're going to look weak or this, you know, trauma porn of, oh my God, or whatever. But yet they still walk up to someone and say, oh, you're so brave and inspiring. While meanwhile, they would absolutely hate it if that was said to them. And so I, you know, I, I believe that we're trapped in this idea of shame and really the only way to crack it is through culture. What a soundbite. Absolutely. <laughs> that, I mean, shame is, I always say it's just such a useless emotion. <laughs> I just, I can't stand shame. It, it keeps us down. And I think that that I've never thought of culture as the antidote to shame, but it really is because I think about like parts of my I'm half Indian and things that my Indian family might do that I might be like, oh, that's, that's odd. But then it's like, no, this is our culture. So I'm proud of it. And that, oh, that pride is wonderful. I'm, I'm glad you bring that up. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a, there's a saying by Laura Hershey who passed away in 1910, huge disability activist and artist. And she says, it's not, you know, you aren't the one who caused you to be ashamed, but you can be the one who causes you to feel pride. So shame is brought onto you. You are told to feel ashamed, but you have the power to feel pride and to knock down that barrier of shame. What shame is for people with disabilities is internalized ableism. And the real way to really kind of break down a lot of those internalized ableisms is to start showcasing people um, disability cultural pride, showcasing the problem solving skills, showcasing the creative thinking, showcasing the innovativeness, showcasing the resilience, showcasing so many of the things that come with being a born innovator, which is what you are if you're a person with a disability, or you know, a, a, an eventual innovator if you become someone with a disability, showcasing those. And, and I say this because I, I constantly cite the fact that in Brazil, when we had the, the, um, the Paralympics in Brazil in 2016, right? There was an increase in those who registered for having a disability because they got to watch themselves winning. They got to watch themselves jumping over whatever, whatever you do in the Olympics. I don't know, <laughs> swimming, whatever, going, doing amazing feats in sports and in other really like hardcore adventurous activities. And they actually went and registered and said, you know what, I have a disability too, because they were showcased pride in their disability culture. Oh, that's such, I'm so glad you shared that. I didn't, I didn't know that. That is really, really cool. And I think it goes back to what you said on that, um, you know, the one in four statistic is probably outdated at this point. One thing that I, I think about a lot is the, there seems to be kind of stark lines drawn between like, I have a mental illness, I have a chronic illness versus I have a disability. And we, you know, I think that as more people are talking about chronic illness and mental illness and realizing these are disabilities and accommodations need to be made and that it's the disability community is something to, that you can have pride in. And it's a great community to be a part of. I think that the more we allow people to understand that the more people with things like mental illness and chronic illness will allow themselves to receive necessary accommodation and accept that disabled identity. I think that is such an interesting point about the Brazil Paralympics. I think that that, you know, is, is honestly what we're trying to do with this podcast in a way is say, look at this. We get to have these amazingly cool conversations. I get to meet incredible recording artists and just incredible people all around. And guess what? I wouldn't do that if like, I would not have this amazing experience if it weren't for the disability community. And I'm proud to be a part of it. And if there's anyone listening who's feeling like, you know, I, I think I might be disabled, but I don't want to take up space, take up the space. We want yeah. you. We've got endless space for you. <laughs> space is infinite. Like go outside and look at the night sky. Space is infinite. Um, also, you know, language is very important as well, right? Owning our language that we want to use or want to, you know, get behind. And when I think of things like people wanting to say chronic illness versus disability or mental illness versus disability, that's when I start to recognize that they're not necessarily part of the community yet. Um, 
Because, you know, if you already don't like the word disability and you're afraid of the word disability, why are you okay with the word illness, right? So start figuring your ish out, and that might be a personal journey. But one thing that I do know is that people in the disability community are 100% fine with the word disability and fine with the word disabled. Because, and things like words like differently abled are huge no-nos, like handicapped, handicapable, all of that stuff is just absolute garbage. So just like once you join the community, you won't have to say that anymore. And it's so freeing. Um, Wheelchair bound, like you're not wheelchair bound. Your wheelchair is your tool to be independent, not your bounding thing. (laughs) And so I feel that language can be empowering. And for me, I like the word disability because people think of the prefix dis as a a negative word, right? Like it just means opposite of ability. But at the end of the day, this actually means um, to set apart. And I believe that my disability sets me apart. I mean, boo, I'm proud of it. It makes me resilient. It makes me be able to navigate life on hard. You ever play like those video games and you're playing it on the hardest setting and you win? And people are playing it on easy and they're losing. And you're like, well, I just beat this on the hardest level. So obviously I'm the shit. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so that's life in disability. Why wouldn't you want to be proud of, you know what? Look, if I'm going to race with a bunch of other people and everybody starts 10 feet ahead of me and I still freaking hit the finish line before they do, that's like the best feeling in the world. Why wouldn't you want to be that one who wins at life on hard? So come join it. The water is fine. Disability is fine. Disabled is fine. Let's get over it. Everybody's like, oh, but I'm this and I'm that. If you're afraid of the word disability, I feel like that, okay, this might be a little controversial, right? But people who are like, oh, I'm so cool and I'm so hip and I don't want to say disabled. Well, then you're not really that cool and that hip because you're afraid of a word. (laughs) Like, get cooler and hipper. Honestly, I'll have more respect for you if you're not afraid of a label. But if you're so afraid of this label, then you're really not all the things you're trying to pretend you are because you're the one afraid. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Absolutely. Riled up, guys. I love it. That's that's what we want on this podcast. We're riled up. It's important. These things are important. And I think everything you said about language is important. Well, I do want to hit on mother, Judy Human, a little bit more. Anytime I hear anyone using mother to describe a celebrity, I'm like, my mother is Judy. Mother. <laughs> she yeah. is mother of, yeah. of the disability rights movement and of for me, I for me, disability pride. I um Judy led me to feel pride and I one of the first tasks I got to work on working at Easter Seals um was writing a children's book about Judy Human and I just got to know so much about her um and I I have so much I always want to say about Judy and so for our listeners who don't know you wrote an incredible song called Lift Me Up which pays tribute to Judy Human and there's a lyric in that song where you said, uh, see who I need to be for the world I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is so beautiful because that's what Judy did for me was I you know, learned about her and then saw, oh, this is this fight is worth it and we can do it. She's she did so much in her single lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because she wanted to make the world she wanted to see. So I, I just love that song. I mean, even if it wasn't about Judy Human, it's an absolute bop. Um, but so what, what made you decide to write that song? What was that experience like? Yeah, this is one of the favorite, one of my favorite things to talk about. So listen, I'm a, a touring artist outside of disability. I am a, a globally touring artist. I've worked with a bunch of really big and great names. I've been in, uh, released by a bunch of labels. And music is how I expressed myself. It's how I've always really expressed really big things in my life. And it's how I expressed my disability and came into my own pride. Um, Judy Human was someone who I had met, like many others, I met Judy Human trashed watching Comedy Central's Drunken History. And um, I realized the mentor that I'd been meeting desperately was right there on that screen. And it was like a big surprise to me when she actually reached out and told me she was a fan. I was like, you, you mean you, the one from the TV? Like, whoa. Um, so that was like a huge thing for me. We became huge friends. We were just badasses, just doing what we had to do, calling each other up all the time. And when she passed away, it was really uh, a shock because I had only spoken to her a few days earlier and she was yelling at me about something or another. <laughs> and so, and of course she was actually hooking me up with somebody. She often made me sing to her friends. Um, she would just put me on speaker. I was her singer friend. She'd make me sing to people. It was just really embarrassing for everyone involved. But she was such a huge part of my life when she passed away. It was a big blow. So like everything else, I coped by writing. I was sitting at the keys. The tears were coming. The song was coming. Um, a good friend of mine, James Ian, who was also a mentee of Ju Judy's, and who uh, was also very close. She'd make us call each other and sing to each other. It was really awkward. Um, we decided to write together. And that's how the beginnings of the song came about. He too is a ramped member. Um, so that anyone who's a ramped member is an established music professional with a disability, right? So that's already kind of baked in. Um, Galen Lee, who's a violinist, wheelchair user, she jumped on board. Um, April Gabrielli, also a ramped member, jumped on board to the songwrite. She was like, I love what you guys are doing, but it's just your feelings on a page. Can we make this a song? So she <laughs> helped us songwrite. Um, Kulik, who's a mastering engineer who's worked with Sony, came into Mix and Master. And we started, as the community, everybody was a part of Ramped. As the community came together to make this song, we realized it was larger than a song, larger than us. And it was coming together very fast. And we quickly realized that we wanted to put this out in July because of the big 50 years of the Rehabilitation Act celebration. It would be a great homage to Judy and it would help bring the community together. Somebody was like, let's make a music video. So of course we bring in Dale Muhammad, who is a blind video producer. And she and I worked on like a bunch of the PBS stuff together. So I, she had just was leaving the White House and I jumped in front of her while she was leaving the White House and said, boy, do I have your first project. We get her on board. We get Kat Rubin S. Stevens, who I actually met through the Easter Seals film challenge. And so Kat has done a bunch of stuff with Easter Seals and I loved her as a director. So I threw those two into a room and said, direct. Um, and I'd always wanted this sort of idea of deaf folks in front, or I'm sorry, just ASL in front and then us in the back. And so I was saying like, let's have us in a small box in the corner while the performers, and they were like, no boxes in corners. And so we were projected behind our authentically deaf and hard of hearing 
superstar cast. I can't believe we got everybody we got. Like Amber Galloway, are you kidding me? She and I have been good friends for a while. Otis Jones, who I had met through the process, he's a huge TikTok star who I'm now obsessed with and in love with. I hope he doesn't watch this and hear that. And then <laughs> um, Arnell, Arnell uh, Russell, who is also a TikTok influencer and Instagram influencer, who is an absolute superstar. All of them came together to be our amazing, like center stage, authentically deaf and HOH, ASL performers. While James, Ian, Galen, and I were projected behind them, we had a completely diverse, everything from LGBTQIA to um, Native to BIPOC to all sorts of situations running the crew. It was such a beautiful thing. I don't know how we got this all done. When <laughs> the amount of time we got it done, we released it through Ramped Records, which is Black-owned and Black-run, and we had it out in time to celebrate and it just got picked up by everybody. I mean, BET loved it, MTV loved it. We got on the radio, we peaked at number 29 on the radio, like what? Um, in the adult contemporary charts, the Christian charts picked it up and YouTube blew up. Google got wind of it and was like, we wanna be a part of this. We'll do whatever you want, just tell us. And we were like, you're Google. Ah! <laughs> so it was just the most amazing experience and it all, was out of love. I mean, Judy's hand was all over the whole thing. She was telling all of us to come together. She was marionetting us like little, her all of her little children. And it worked out because of Judy's legacy and Judy's love. And, you know, one of the criticisms that I got from this whole thing was, you know, Judy is a, she's very much into just the disability rights movement and the laws and the legalese. And of course, I'm trying to celebrate disability culture and disability justice. And so folks were going like, why are you tributing a disability culture song to Judy Human? Also, Judy Human, let's all be frank, is a white woman who was of a, an okay class, right? And, you know, my only comeback is that, look, Judy was my actual honest mentor. Like she took me under her wing and she did a lot. But at the end of the day, the music video showcased so much diversity within the community. We had audio description done by Tony winner, Ali Stroker, right at the top. Wow. We had, who actually played her in that drunken yeah. <laughs> circle. We had, um, you know, multiracial ASL interpretation. We also had transcription in the Google uh, YouTube video. We had all of us in the background. We had a very diverse cast and crew. And so we did as much as we could to not only make the video truly accessible, but also to make sure the cast and crew below the line and above the line were folks with diversity and disability. So amazing. I <laughs> thank you for sharing all of that. I um, just adore Judy and um you know I wrote the children's book and I was supposed to get to meet Judy in the last spring um and then she passed right before that happened and I felt like I missed an opportunity to really meet one of the greats in our community um but since her passing I have really seen how you can't actually miss the chance to connect with Judy Human if you're looking for it her legacy lives on in so many people. And I think that you, especially the work you're doing, you are talking the talk and walking the walk by um, 
you know, you're a true community builder. And I, I have, I literally have a tattoo that says, do not panic organize because (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Um, because I, I think it's the truth. I think community building is how we change the world. And I think you are doing that. So I'm honored for you to be on this podcast. I'm sure Aaron's feeling the same way. Thank you both for having me. This has been quite the, you know, experience. And I always just love to talk about these things. So thank you so much for inviting me on here. I'm so happy that you, that you joined us and this conversation means a lot to me. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. And also, well, before we close up shop, there is one thing I would be absolutely remiss if I did not say, and if I did not shamelessly plug myself. Absolutely. Um, so we just recently got a book deal with ah. Penguin Publishing. Um, we got this book deal through an imprint called Tiny Rep, um, Tiny Reparations by Phoebe Robinson, who is this really amazing queer Black uh, comedian slash actress and, and writer. Um, who likes to amplify Black and Black female voices. Um, The name of the book is I Identify as Blind. And what I'll be writing about is really, uh, you know, cultural criticism on disability identity and disability narratives currently within pop culture that are not highlighted and just need to be highlighted a little bit more. So I'm really excited to write that book that will eventually come out in 2025 and it will be star studded. We are going to go all the way out and really showcase disability identity and disability culture in this book. So definitely wanted to just celebrate that that's going to be coming out. And frankly, I think this is the first like actual platform where I'm talking about this. So you heard it here, folks. I identify as blind coming out in 2025. Oh, yay. What an honor to get to share this news with the world. I'm so excited. My podcasting setup behind me, I have a bunch of books that have really shaped who I am in my um, disability activism. And I cannot wait. In 2025, there will be a copy of I Identify as Blind on there. And I run the disability readathon with my friend Anna. We're definitely going to feature your book. When it turns out. I'm, Ooh, so I'm gonna hold you to that, both yeah, of you. Oh, you better. Yes. <laughs> a, a big part of this communal building is accountability. So exactly, exactly, exactly. I promise we'll do it. Well, thank you so much. What a phenomenal interview. I feel overjoyed that we get to share this with the world. I think that there are a lot of nuggets of wisdom throughout this episode that are going to change people's perception of disability and Also, this was just a really cool hour to get to spend talking to someone I respect and think is just so wonderful. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for another wonderful episode of Everything You Know About Disability is Wrong. What a great episode. Yeah, I totally Um, loved it. I love her. She's like the best person. And I'm so happy that we got to connect with like all these amazing people this season. It's yeah, what an incredible lineup. And it it was a total accident that our lineup this season is entirely women. Um, but I think it's really cool. And I just love having such great perspectives from disabled women. We don't have that much representation of disabled women and happy to be doing it on here. Uh, if you haven't listened to Lachi's music, especially that Lift Me Up song that we were referencing, the song she wrote for Judy Human, 
um that song is incredible and also just all of her music is really cool um she also has just been announced as like a mentor at the grammys just really cool stuff going on in lachi's life i recommend that our listeners go follow her on every social media and yeah thanks lachi for coming on what a wonderful episode and that was a great episode and really excited for season three of the podcast season three i can't believe it's already here um We'll see you. We'll see you next season, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. And if you happen to just listen to this episode, go back, listen to the rest. We've got two seasons worth of content out, and we hope you enjoy listening. We'll see you next time on Everything You Know About Disability Is Wrong. If you like what you heard, go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to our listeners, and as always, thank you to Easter Seals for giving us the space and resources to share such authentic conversations from within the disability community to our listeners. And I'll see you next time for another episode of Everything You Know About Disability is Wrong.